1: Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today you'll be hearing a very special two-part episode where I'll be speaking with both of the first openly transgender women elected to the New Hampshire state legislature, Lisa Bunker and Jerry Cannon. Now let's start out with Representative Cannon. Thanks for coming on, Jerry, and congrats on winning your election.
2: Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure.
1: So could you tell us about your background and what your experience was like running for state legislature?
2: I was uh, in the computer industry for a long time. Was let go uh, because I was transgender, and uh, so then I uh, I had to go into survival mode. And I uh, started my own carpentry business. And while I was running that, uh, I was contacted by a representative from uh, from our state house and and uh, a member from GLAD to go to the state house and testify in support of a transgender rights bill. Up until that point, I had never stepped foot in the state capitol. And that was about, well, was almost 10 years ago now that I did that. And we fought for transgender rights and same-sex marriage. And I got to really mingle with uh, folks in Concord, our our, reg- our legislature. And the, the realization was they weren't high on a pedestal. They were just everyone, every ordinary people, just like everybody else. And then so we worked on legislation. We uh, we won the same-sex marriage bill and the transgender rights bill failed, got messed up in the politics and bathroom bills and all that sort of stuff. But during that time, I had a few people ask me if I would consider running for office because they felt my approach to working with people was was right on target. So um, in New Hampshire, uh, our state legislature makes about $100 a year. <laughs> I was a struggling carpenter and my business was struggling with the uh, the economy. And I, I I had to decline. I ended up uh, scrambling with my own business and going on the road that night. I had five years in the seat of a truck driving cross country to think about running for office and what to do with the rest of my life. Eventually, I was able to, to find a, a new home in Somersworth, New Hampshire which is over by Portsmouth near the sea coast. And I found a whole new community that was very welcoming and opening open. And we had a gay mayor, but we still do have a gay mayor. <laughs> I, I mentioned that I was interested in running for, for state office and, and he asked me if I'd consider running locally. And I said, well, what if you, what do you think I'd be available, would be available for me to do? So he, he suggested I run for school board which I did last year and I won that seat. So I've been on the S- Summersworth school board and Summersworth is a small city. Uh, so I was on the school board, it was enlightening. i worked very closely with the school board and with the city council and got to know the people supporting me in the area. And then this year I did what I was planning on doing. I ran for office and, and met up with three, the th- there were three of us women running for office and I was excited to run, and I, I talked with lots of people in the community, and they encouraged me, just run. It didn't matter to them about me being transgender, me being a transgender. They just knew I was a good person. I was reasonably organized, <laughs> and and they felt that I would make a good fit for the community. The results of the uh, the election show that. The, the three of us ladies swept the small town of Rawlingsford, and four of the five districts in Summersworth. And we beat out the three incumbents. That's where we are today. And I'm excited about being able to get into the statehouse and start to do some work.
1: So what work are you anticipating? What legislative priorities do you have going into this session?
2: Well, right to start off with, one of my first priorities is sort of a follow-on to the transgender rights bill that we won last year. Last spring, uh, we, we, we won a bipartisan uh, bill for, uh, for transgender rights in a Republican-based – the House was pre- Republican-based, the Senate was Republican-based, and we had a Republican governor, and yet we got it through. It was a lot of work. So this year, uh, one of the things on my plate is in New Hampshire, we don't have uh, the ability for, for someone who's in the process of transition – to have their gender changed on their birth certificate if they were born here in the state, unlike all of the area um, states including Massachusetts, where I was born if a if a doctor uh, believes that I've, you've proceeded far enough along your transition that you're not going to transition back, they will sign a form and you can bring it in and have have your birth certificate changed so last about two years ago, I had my birth certificate and gender marker and name changed on my, uh, on my own documents in Massachusetts, but the same would not have been true in New Hampshire. So my first uh, task is working with the ACLU. We are in the process of uh, submitting a, a bill to allow uh, people to, to get a physician's statement that says they are, in fact, a transgender person and are proceeding through their trans- transition
1: So, could you tell us a little bit more about the state of trans rights in your state and kind of the journey you've had and the experiences you've had fighting for trans rights?
2: Uh, As I briefly mentioned, uh, I was working in the computer industry and I had been in the computer industry for 31 years. I had finally realized that I was a transgender person uh, when I was about, well, I was in my early 40s and Really came out to family and friends in my community. I was about 46 years old. That was almost 20 years ago now. (laughs) I had some challenges at work, the company I worked for. Some people took issue with me um, presenting myself as female after hours when I was on business, uh, business trips. Um, They laid me off when I announced, shortly after I announced that I would be transitioning on the job. Some people said, well, they laid you off, but they hired somebody into my group the very same weekend I left, and I never had a chance to interview for that job. When I did um, contact a lawyer to see what my rights were, they basically told me, you don't have anything to uh, to fight with here in New Hampshire because you're, you're not a protected class. So I, I, I dropped it. When I found out, when I was given the opportunity by um, Representative Ed Butler to come in and talk with him, I was saying to them, he says, well, this is what I was looking for back when I got got let go. And he goes, well, let's, let's share your story with the folks in Concord. And at that time, back in 2009, I spent almost three days a week educating both Democrats and Republicans about what it means to be a transgender person. No one had met a transgender person on Capitol Hill. So I spent long days in concord i had this set up at my own desk in the cafeteria and i'd schedule time with the representatives to come by uh, representatives in, in in new hampshire don't don't have offices we there's, there's 400 representatives in new hampshire <laughs> we have the third third largest uh, legislature in the english speaking world the Senators have offices, and I was able to corner them, but the representatives I had to either corner in the hall or schedule time with them to come talk with me and that was That was a good experience for them as well as myself as to find out that I could share my story. I did share my my story also in the newspapers and really made people aware that transgender people existed in our community. It wasn't until the past two years when I got off the road and got back into back into real life again in the community. That I found that from my previous efforts and being out in public and trying to educate even our own community, the number of transgender people that were out and were willing to help and the GLBT community as a whole was there to support the efforts. And we had people from the ACLU and from the State Police Association and from numerous uh, church organizations and from women's groups all supporting us. The fantastic thing was watching a lot of young people in their 20s in college come out to help us and use technology for us to go uh, sort through the, the representatives in, our, in the state and start uh, getting their opinions on the transgender community. And we, we took a, a tactical approach We ended up uh, having home parties where we invited very specific legislators in for them to meet transgender uh, people, including families with uh, young transgender members, with uh, transgender children, so that they could talk to these kids and realize this is not something we do on a whim. This is who we are. And that turned out to be the, the turning point as people started to Get the message that transgender people aren't a threat to the community, that we are the community.
1: Something I think is kind of interesting about your state is though Democrats retook the legislature, your Republican governor got reelected by a pretty
2: solid margin. Why is that? Oh, our governor, uh, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, He votes on some of the bills that are very positive for people, and there's a lot of things that that don't quite fit. Uh, We've watched him this past couple of years because he sort of tracks along with our current president's line of thinking. He he surprised us with uh, signing the transgender legislation and and a couple other pieces of legislation, but he hasn't, you know, for the GLBT community, but he hasn't been uh, fully in line with what we'd like to see from a democratic perspective. But he's been flexible and and at least willing to talk to people. And I think that's what some people saw in him. Plus, the other thing is, he's related to a previous (laughs) previous governor and his father was Governor Sunu. So, the name carries some weight.
1: And going into this legislative session, do you see him as more of an ally or an impediment to a progressive agenda?
2: Good question. <laughs> I I think that's one of the things we're going to have to figure out over time. Uh, I know that he knows be my name already, so I know he, so he'll be aware of of the things that I'm doing because uh, this is an area where we are fairly vocal in our state about the rights for the GLBT community and for du- diversity in general. I'm very strong on diversity for our community. We have. Uh, a very large population of Indonesian people in the area that uh, have been fighting for the right to stay here in the country. We've got uh, the size of the population, the Indonesian population is the largest group North of New York city. So it's, it's a sizable number and uh, we're trying to make sure that people of all kinds get the rights they deserve. So I think from a progressive agenda in general, it's, we are going to have to sell the governor. Uh, I have no problem in scheduling time in, in his office to meet with him one-on-one or to work with our executive committee. And part of my career in working in big business and, and being able to go out on the road to meet senior execs in, in business allows me to not feel afraid to knock on somebody's door and try and get, try and get their support for whatever I'm doing. Could you tell us a little bit more
1: about what state legislatures can do in response to everything, really, that's going on with Donald (laughs) Trump? What actions can you take to defend civil rights and liberties?
2: Well, I think the approach that uh, we've started to take here in New Hampshire is we can work on things locally, set an example for others. We may not be... directly in sync with what's going on in Washington, but we do have we do have uh good legislators, legislators that are that are are there um our our Congress people and senators are pretty much in tune with what we're looking for from a progressive standpoint. So part of it is for us to to, to do the right thing first off in our own community and to to win a progressive legislation by a large margin, and make a statement to the folks in Washington, this is where we stand. I think if more states could come up and say, this is where we stand, this is what's important to us, and establish those things as, here's what we are doing in our communities, independent about what's going on in Washington. Because if they aren't doing the right thing in Washington, well, we need to do it here and protect our own people. So there's a lot of work to, to find ways to, you know, even healthcare and education and stuff. We're taking that on here. Uh, we have to. We can't depend on Washington this, these days to, to even know we exist at times.
1: As one of the only openly transgender state legislators in the country, your voice and your victory obviously mean a lot to our community. What advice would you give to young transgender people who are hoping to get involved in politics? The
2: the thing I'd like to say is, I didn't run as as a transgender person. That was nothing to do with my platform. What I did run on was, what are the local issues? I learned what the community is concerned about as a whole. People that, and I even saw this from the other transgender people that were running, our platforms that we ran on were community platforms. What's important to our communities as a whole? Now, if legislation or things need to be done for the GLBT community, of course, we're going to be focused. We're going to do those the best we can and get things through. On the other hand, our responsibility is for our communities and for our state. So, for young people coming into it, is don't be a one a, a one issue legislator. You've got to you've got to get in and be aware of what your community, what hot buttons are in your community, so that you can express those at on Capitol Hill and to even to, to the our country's legislature is we need to let them know that we're people first and that we're part of our community and we are a voice for others who may not have a voice in in the community or may not think they have a voice i know that i listen to a lot of people i get around to all all the businesses um i am on the school board so i i, I know that we've got issues with funding this there's a lot of things as you get involved with your communities and I highly recommend uh if you if people would consider running for it it's get involved with local politics you know get involved with the committees or or city councils or or town meetings be a a presence there let people know that you're concerned about your community and would like to help and get in, involved and then when it comes time for you to run for office, people will already know you and know of your abilities. That makes it a whole lot easier. I know when I was knocking on doors, I was surprised at how many people said, I know you. I've, I've seen you in the, in the news and I've seen you on the, the local TV channel we have for, for state government. And I, and I said, and you're doing a great job. I remember knocking on one door and lady said, I've got your picture on my refrigerator. (laughs) I looked at her and said, I'm glad it's there and not on a dartboard. (laughs) If you're going to run, be strong, be yourself. People, People can understand that. If you're true to yourself and true to people around you, they will see that. And they will see that you're standing up to face adversity to start off with. And as I told people, I said, facing that adversity myself has made me a stronger individual. And it makes me strong enough to support other people in comfort.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. And to our listeners, we're going to take a quick break to hear from Nathan and Dylan about our Patreon, then we'll get right back with our interview with Lisa Bunker. Stay tuned.
0: I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us.
3: And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg
2: Stevens and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown.
0: Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics, that's patreon.com slash m-i-l-l-e-n
1: politics and join the movement. All right. Now back to the show. Hey, folks. Thanks for sticking around. Now, we'll be speaking with New Hampshire Representative Lisa Bunker. Thanks for coming on, and congrats on winning your election.
3: It's my pleasure, Jordan.
1: So, Lisa, you are one of the only openly transgender legislators in the nation, and along with Jarrett Cannon, the first openly transgender woman ever elected to the New Hampshire state legislature. What does that mean to you?
3: On one level, it's not very important. Um, I didn't run on my gender identity, and I don't think of myself as an identity candidate or an identity legislator. Um, I ran because I felt compelled to do whatever I could um, as a concerned citizen um, after the 2016 election. And I ran on my abilities and my stance on the issues. And I intend to serve to the best of my ability in Concord in the same stance. Um, I will say that There was that year between the 2016 election and the 2017 election when I was thinking hard about what I could do to contribute to um, standing up to what's been going on in Washington. And I had thought of running for office, but I didn't actually move on that. But then in 2017, Danica Rome got elected to the Virginia House of Delegates, a trans woman, the very first to serve in a state legislature. And her victory electrified me. So I guess I had sort of self-selected out of running because I assumed that I couldn't get elected as an out trans person, um, but Danica did it and she ran a principled campaign on her on her qualifications and the issues. And she beat the self-proclaimed chief homophobe of the state who was a 12 term incumbent and who refused to debate her or use her pronouns. And I was just astonished by that. And I stayed up most of the night thinking and then I asked my partner for a conversation in the morning and got started on running for office myself. So what are your
1: qualifications and the issues you
3: ran on? Um, I would say that my qualifications are um, a long career in nonprofit management until recently i was I worked in non-commercial radio broadcasting. And f- most recently for 14 years, I was the program director of a small community radio station in Portland, Maine. And this was sort of old school community radio, three paid staff and everything else done by volunteers. And it was an intensely communal job. We worked with two, 300 different people every week to put on this, this community broadcast service. And they came from every walk of life. It was an intensely social job, a political job. And I loved it. I loved being plugged in. I loved the challenge of working with and collaborating with and finding synergy with people. I feel like I developed a skill set there that will stand me in good stead in Concord. And also, I've been an activist for a number of years. Um, I helped fight both of the fights for marriage equality in Maine when I lived there. And as recently as last year, I was involved in getting protections for trans people passed at the state level here in New Hampshire. And that was part of getting ready to run, too, was the several times I went up to testify to committees and seeing that the people I was talking to were just ordinary humans like me um, and feeling like I could do this, too.
1: So what progress do you think is going to be made in this legislative session that has been stalled by the Republicans in the past?
3: Well... One thing that I'm very aware of myself um, is I've I've gotten increasingly interested as the campaign goes on in voting rights and fair elections. um, And I'm going to request to be put on the election law committee of the New Hampshire House. Um, We've had a couple of laws passed in the last two years here in New Hampshire, which have restricted access to the ballot box. One was a redefinition of the concept of domicile, which in essence made it harder for college students and other temporary residents of the state to vote. Strong critics of that measure equated it to a poll tax because it it amounted to requiring people to go through registering for a state ID in order to be able to vote. And there was another law passed that sort of um, increased the level of ID that you need to bring to voting stations. So that's something I think we can try to roll back. Uh, beyond that, um, I'm interested in the possibility of proactively moving us farther towards um, a progressive vision of truly fair elections, um, I think a democracy is only as robust as its elections are fair and inclusive. So I'd like to see an expansion of voters' rights in the state of New Hampshire. Um, we could do uh, no-reason uh, no absentee ballots. Um, there, there are other sort of voting rights uh, concepts in circulation nationally, which could definitely apply in New Hampshire.
1: So one reform that we saw implemented for the first time in any state this year is ranked choice voting. Maine is the first state to implement it statewide. What are your thoughts on this?
3: It could be extremely useful in situations where there are third-party spoiler candidates. I mean, proponents of ranked choice voting um, say that it helps... People take more moderate or nuanced positions in multi-party or multi-candidate races. And I'm all for that. I mean, we have seen both at local and state levels and certainly nationally, this polarization and this, um, that's one of the things, one of the skills that I was talking about before from my radio station work is just getting to know people and figuring out common ground and, and getting to work with them. And keeping it all the time, just basically courteous. I had a three word campaign slogan and it was community, courtesy, and compassion. And so I think let's just, let's find common ground. Let's talk less about what party we belong to and let's talk more about being neighbors and granite staters and, um, you know, residents of our community and volunteers. Um, let's find ways to identify ourselves as groups, which include, which downplay party polarities.
1: On your website, you list giving a voice to the voiceless as one of your priorities. Uh, you've touched upon that a little bit. Could you tell us a bit more about how you would try to do that?
3: A uh, voice to the voiceless. This arises, I think, largely out of my... I got that phrase actually from my work in public broadcasting. When I worked at the radio station in Portland, Maine, we were all about access to the airwaves. Anybody could come and express opinions, um, get their story across. The the idea of immigrants as evil was very much in play in the last election and that horrified me. Um, I had a fair amount of contact with immigrant populations in that old job and I found everybody I met to be intelligent, Highly motivated to to f- make a better life for themselves and their families, willing to work really hard. Um, and it seemed to me that the people that I met were having a hard time and not able to um, advocate effectively for themselves. We do also have immigrant populations coming to New Hampshire, um, especially in the t- in the city of Manchester. There's people coming. I am an active uh UU, a universalist unitarian, and our church has gotten involved in helping families come over. The the kind of demonization of, of otherness that we're seeing from the current administration is finding willing ears. And that that just that just really terrifies me. I am worried as I imagine many other people are about the resurgence of sort of quasi-fascist ideas and 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 political moves. So giving voice to the voiceless is about making sure, it's just about standing up to that kind of otherizing of, of different groups. Yeah, you know, I think racism is alive and well in the United States of America. So I want to do my part to stand up and speak. And of course, for LGBTQ people as well, being one myself, I think it's going to be very helpful to the other 399, or I should say 398 um non-trans cisgendered people in the legislature just to work with a couple of trans people because my colleague, Jerry Cannon, also got elected. So New Hampshire now has two trans women serving in its state legislature. But just to work with and meet and be colleagues with trans people is going to be very valuable, I think, to the people who make the laws in the state of New Hampshire.
1: You have really said that the legislature is a people's legislature in a way that doesn't quite apply to any other state. What are you planning on doing to ensure that you stay accountable to your communities?
3: Well, um, I put up a social presence, a social media presence for my campaign, and I'll keep that active. So, you know, I have an email just for my candidacy and for my public service. And my phone number is out there too and I'm reachable through Twitter and Facebook. So anybody who wants to say or ask me anything is just has complete access. I found it very valuable to Canvas. I started in July and I knocked on well over a thousand doors and had close to 400 conversations. And I love face to face conversation. Um, I think you can get more of a sense of who a person is and sort of their energy and vibe in a couple of minutes face-to-face than you can in a long online interaction. Other reps I know have tried to hold town meetings and so on. My sense is that they've sort of petered out for a while because hardly anybody showed up. I might try something like that. I don't know yet, Uh, but I I feel like I'm very accessible and we'll just have to see how it goes.
1: All right, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. And thank you to our listeners for staying with us the whole time. Again, I'm Jordan Valerie, politics editor at Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. To keep up to date with the Millennial Politics podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow Millennial Politics on social media, and tune into the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8pm Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.